Hi, this is Ange Deaver, and welcome back to my podcast. We're reading Tidal Isles, and today is chapter four. This week, I actually also started uploading on YouTube, so if you prefer the YouTubes or know anybody who would like to listen to a book but doesn't listen to podcasts, it is on YouTube. There isn't really a video. There's just a a graphic I stuck up there, but it is the same content as you find here. So um, please support the show. Please give me comments or um, critiques. I will read them all and um, it really helps me to kind of make my story a better story. Additionally, likes, subscribes, stars, sharing, all of those things will be a tremendous support because the more readers I get or listeners, um, the better my story will get because people will help me get it to where I need it to go. So. Without further ado, we'll begin chapter four. Chapter four. Hotska smiled down at her son, not caring that he was being fussy. She had never seen a more beautiful baby. This was the closest to love she had ever felt for anyone else. She had Ulrich's first child. She was his first wife. And now she would be honored above all the others. When will we be offering our son for the bonding ceremony? Her hoarse voice sounded so unbecoming. Ulrich didn't answer. He just stared at his lap. Hatska, unlike the rest of her family, had taste. Her home was filled with beautiful things, and her favorite things were in her bedroom. Just because she lived in this frozen hellhole of the north didn't mean she had to live like a peasant. Hatska was the first wife of the chieftain of the Isle of Avit. Their wealth had afforded her the luxuries she craved, even if he and the rest of them found them boorish and trifling. Her bed was made of a rare black oak carved with opulence and great skill of a master craftsman. She had beautiful tapestries on her walls and delicate glass trinkets adorning every surface. It was her haven, and everything now was perfect. She had a son. Yet, when she looked over at Ulrich, he wasn't smiling. He didn't seem in awe of their child. Instead, he looked angry. When Hatska had awoken about a candle mark earlier, he was already there, in the chair rocking their son, lines creasing his visage. She decided to wait out his silent brooding. So what if the baby was fussy? Weren't all babies fussy? Why couldn't he just be pleased for once? She had given him a son. Nothing she did seemed to please Ulrich anymore. Tired of trying to engage him in conversation about the baby, his grunts were annoying. She might as well be speaking to his dog. If she were an emotional woman, which she wasn't, she'd be in tears by now. Reminding herself that emotions were for the weak-minded people, she was anything but weak. Hatska pasted a smile on her face, smug that all her plans were coming together so perfectly. A gentle knock on the door destroyed everything. Her fake smile fell off of her face. Her time alone with Ulrich was rare. Any interruption infuriated her. Today of all days, really, only one person would have such gall. Lapry. Hatska glanced around for something in arm's reach to stab her with. As the door opened, Hatska reminded herself that she had a son, and Lapri only had her youth. That wouldn't last. 
Hatska's son, the heir, was here to stay. Take that, you little bitch, she thought to herself as she looked up at her husband's third, childless wife. Hatska, how are you feeling? Latbury asked as she reached out to touch her forehead. Hatska squatted it away. I'm fine. I barely remember anything. Her voice cracked as she raised her voice in irritation. May I see the boy? Why? Hatska asked as she lifted him further away from the little whore. Latbury sat on the edge of the bed. No, not the bed. Her bed. Her foot twitched as she had to hold herself back from kicking the bitch off. The sight of her sprawled on the floor might be worth the verbal tirade from Ulrich. Latbury was taking far too many liberties. It was still her home, after all. She glanced at Ulrich for support, but he was useless as always. Lapri leaned over Hatska and looked at the boy, and he began to cry. Hatska saw it only as proof that at least her son didn't inherit his father's horrible taste in women. Lapri looked back at her and said, I don't want to scare you. <laughs> like you could, thought Hatska. This morning, Lapri continued, you almost died, as did your baby. Almost died? I am fine, and so is my son, our son, she shot back as she looked pointedly at the glowering man who sat in the corner. Yes, you will recover. As for your son, I don't know yet. What do you mean you don't know? What kind of useless medicine woman are you? You incompetent piece of... That's enough, said Ulrich, his eyes narrow and voice stern. Shocked, Hatska looked over at her husband, but instead only saw the chieftain. Too stunned to smile or come up with some quick retort, all she could do was stare at him. Give her the child, he continued. I will not, Hatska said. Hatska, it is in your best interest to do as I say, right now. No scheming, no lying, no talking. Hand over the baby to Laddie so she could look him over and give him another dose of his medicine. Her eyes narrowed as her pulse pounded in her temples. A dangerous smile played across her lips. Make me. Ulrich launched out of his chair so fast she didn't have time to register it. Lapry stood up and blocked his path to her. Wait, let's just calm down, she said as she pushed Ulrich back towards his chair. This time, Lapri remained standing and faced Hatska with a dour look. Some of the herbs you stole from my home were not what you thought they were. Unless your goal was to cause massive amount of pain all over your entire body and that of your unborn child's. Stole? How dare you? Her heart sank as she calculated a way to control the damage. Isn't that what we call it when someone takes something that isn't theirs, Chieftain? Pulling Ulrich into this argument was going too far. Yes, theft, thievery, I could believe that of you, Hatska, he said in a calm voice. I would like not to, but I'm no fool. However, what you did to our son, my son, is unforgivable. He got up, walked over with slow, even steps towards the bed. Hate and pain seethed in his eyes as he looked down at her. Magic flared in them as they began to glow 
illuminating a tear as it slid down his cheek. That pain you felt, he said in a dangerous, soft whisper. That pain that made you scream so loud and so long that you woke the entire village. The pain that was so intense, it finally knocked you out. That pain. You did the same thing to my son. Only he isn't strong enough to fight off whatever you took. He's still feeling that pain. Every single second. His spittle landed on her cheek as he spoke mere inches from her face. His glowing eyes drifted to the baby and then back to her. You did that. As he turned away, the magic faded from his eyes. Shocked, she looked down at her precious little son, his thin blonde hair and his dark blue eyes. The fussiness no longer seemed cute, but was a dagger in her heart. Still, she convinced herself that it would be all worth it. When he was bonded, all would be forgiven, and she can gain back what she has lost. When do we present him forward for the bonding, she asked, as if it had not affected her at all. You're unbelievable, Laddie exclaimed. Did you hear anything Ulrich just said? Your baby is in constant pain. We don't even know the ramifications of what you've done. I didn't do anything wrong, she retorted. I went into labor. It hurt a lot. And I woke up here. For all I know, you poisoned me. You have got to be kidding me, Lavery snarled at her. No. She craned her neck around Lapry to see her husband. Ulrich, darling, believe me, I didn't go into her house and take whatever she said I took. She's just jealous. Jealous that I bore you a son. Jealous that our son will be bonded. She's always been jealous of my place in this house. She finished with a quiver in her strained voice. Proud of herself for turning this around. Well, laddie, you no longer need to be envious of Hatska. That woman standing in my house is lower than any of my servants. With that, he took the child out of Hatska's arms and walked out of the room. You filthy bitch, get out of my house, she spat at Lapry after the door shut behind Ulrich and the baby. How dare you, Lapry shot back. Just do your job if you think you're capable. We need to be ready for our bonding ceremony. Did you not understand anything he told you about your child's current condition. Yes, he's in pain, she said as her eyes rolled. It will pass, and unlike me, he won't even have to remember it. No harm done. Now go do what you have to do, and when you're done, bring me back my son. Haska eyed her cruelly. Don't get any ideas. You won't be taking this away from me, too. Lapry shook her head. These are for your pain, she said as she placed a packet of herbs on Haska's bedside table, then turned and followed Ulrich out of the room. She wanted to throw something, but instead a line of curses spewed from her mouth at that damn interfering Lapry. She noticed how empty she felt without her son in her arms. It'll all be worth it, she thought to herself. I promise I will get the world for us both. She was shocked to feel the tickle of a tear as it fell down her own cheek. Bergrosen had finished bathing and changing her clothes. 
She ran a hand through her hair, making a mental note that it was nearly time to shave it all off again. This was how she had managed her hair for almost 100 years. Putting on her leather trousers and faded blue shirt, she headed out of her house. Her home was simple and as clutter-free as Lazalia's, if one didn't count the assortment of weapons mounted on every wall. She grabbed her satchel and headed out the door of her house. As soon as her hand pushed on the door, it started. A chorus of bleeding from her small herd of goats. Their pasture was right outside her house. They all rushed to the fence, vying for her attention. She grabbed some small apples out of the barrel and began to hand one to each of them through the fence when she heard Lajalia speak to her. You know, that white one looks fat and tasty. Berg Rosen turned towards Lajalia's house to see her watching them through her window. She gave her the look as she handed out the last of the apples. Leave my goats alone. You know, I just gave birth. I'm famished. I'll send the servants over with some food. You're no fun. I've never been accused of being fun. Mm-hmm, Lajalia agreed. Don't think I don't have them counted. Of course you do. I'll be back later to check on you and the pup. And my goats. Fine. It was the afternoon of one of the worst and best days of Ulrich's life. She didn't have to ask anyone where he'd be. A few minutes later, she walked into the Velvet Antlers Tavern. She didn't even need to wait for her eyes to adjust to find who she was looking for. Their enormous silhouettes were easy enough to pick out. She walked over to a small, curved wooden bar and ordered a tankard from Lars and headed over to the boys through the nearly empty pub. The pub was set up to help its human and wolf customers. There were an assortment of chairs and benches around the room to make everyone comfortable. The smell was a mixture of ale, wood, and a sour sick smell that she just chose to ignore. Skyda was sitting on a bench at the table. He looked up from his bowl of dark ale. He wagged his tail in greeting. Skyda was large, even for a visca wolf. His head topped out over six feet high when he stood on all fours. The chairs here couldn't accommodate him. Ulrich didn't even acknowledge her. Are you drunk already? she asked Ulrich. Ulrich said nothing, just remained staring at his tankard of ale. She looked over at Skyda for help. Skyda shook his head. Bergrosen noticed Ulrich's tankard was full. Has he drank any yet? Skyda shook his head again. A sigh of disgust escaped her before she drank her own ale down. She reached over and grabbed Ulrich's tankard and drank it too, setting it back down where he had had it when she was done. Ulrich didn't even seem to notice. She threw up an arm in the air and ordered three more. When replacement drinks arrived at the table, she poured one into Skyda's bowl and sent a tankard down in front of Ulrich. Skyda barked his thanks. Her third ale she drank slower, a little slower. They sat silently, Two of them drank ale, and one just stared. When the third drink was done, she reached over for the drink in front of Ulrich, took a sip, and threw the rest in Ulrich's face. Ulrich jumped and banged the table with his legs, upsetting the tankards and bowl they were drinking out of. Bergrosen glanced over at Skyda, and he had apparently been thirsty enough to have emptied his bowl in time. That's better, she said as she reset the table. Empty tankards and bowl. Sit down, pup. He dried his face with his sleeves and glowered at her and then sat back down. I am not a pup, he grumbled. Oh, you've got all sorts of fancy titles, but to me, you will always be 
pop. Just the way it is. It doesn't help that you are hiding and moping just like you did when you were a kid. I am not hiding. Well, at least you didn't try to deny that you're moping. You've always been a moody little pup. I always thought you'd grow out of it. But even I can't always be right, she quipped. With the wave of her arm, three more ales arrived at the table. This time, all three of them drank slowly while they talked. One of them slower than the others. I took care of the stranger's body. Her pyre will be ready tomorrow night, she said. I found some items that might help us figure out where she is from, but there wasn't much. She placed the satchel on the table. Ulrich came out of his stupor and grabbed the bag. He opened it and pulled out the expensive jewelry, but saw nothing that stood out. He put them in front of Skyda, who sniffed them carefully. Next, he pulled out a red and white stone bracelet and scrutinized it. Why would a woman that could afford those jewels wear a simple bracelet of stones? I was wondering the same thing. Look at the engraving, she pointed towards the largest flat red stone. What are those? His brows furrowed. Waves, I think, she responded. Waves? Who decorates anything with waves, he asked as he stared at the engraving of cresting waves. Lujala and I have traveled to all the other isles, and I have never seen the like, she said. The Fingelzi Sea is a monster, not something to celebrate, he rubbed his thumb over the carving. It's because at damn sea we're all separated on our own isles. Few are brave enough to cross the tidal bridges, and in my lifetime, they've only gotten more dangerous, Bergrosen said. Ulrich turned to Skyda and nodded. He looked back to Bergrosen. Skyda reminded me that we lost a trade caravan during the last bridge season that we sent to the Isle of Gran. Water art aside, flip it over. There's more, she instructed. He did as she suggested. Omri, he read aloud. Anyone? She and Skyda both shook their heads. Then Ulrich looked at the last two pieces of paper and smirked at her. This reminds me of lessons with you. One mystery after another. Ulrich let Skyda sniff the stones next. He even licked one, but he really didn't seem to like the taste. Then Ulrich looked over the parchment. Just part of a word scrawled across the top, and part of a diagram underneath. Polori. Sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't place it. But this... He looked at the drawing on the other piece of parchment slowly. You say this was tattooed on her? The drawing was a symbol with two sides of a triangle pointing right a circle touching directly beneath, and two sides of a triangle pointing up, touching the bottom of the circle. More like a branding or a burn on the inside of her left upper arm, she responded. He placed the remaining items in front of Skyda. After a moment, Orwick looked back at her. Skyda says everything smells like seawater, and that she had too, but also she smelled like some people we had met from one of the eastern isles when we were last on the Isle of Milan. Well, if anyone were to go out on the water, you would never attempt to go in the channels. So the open sea around the outside edges of the tidal isles makes more sense. Still, getting over the reefs, who would even try that? And in her condition, why risk it? Shaking her head, she finished her fourth ale and eyed Ulrich, which was still nearly full. Skyda spoke with Ulrich for a moment and seemed to have brought him out of his comatose state again. Oh, yeah, I almost forgot. He turned his attention back toward her. When we were bringing her in from the forest this morning, he paused. 
He rubbed his eyes a few times. She waited him out. There was something in the woods with us, he finished. Something? She asked at his unhelpful statement. Something not natural, he raised his left shoulder. There was a fog. An unnatural fog? Yes, unnatural. It was glowing, and it moved along the forest floor like a snake searching for prey. It even had a pair of red glowing eyes, about a man's height, hovering over it. She stared at him, nonplussed and unsure of where he was going. An unnatural, glowing snake fog with red eyes? Ulrich Anskyda nodded, and Ulrich continued. When the light that the fog emitted hit the jewel of Vargenstand, it, well, reacted. Your scimitar reacted. How? She leaned back. Yes, a blue light shot out of Vargenstand's jewel, and Ulrich shook his head. I, I don't know if it startled it or hurt it, but the fog left fast. Dissipated, really. Wait, what? Vargenstand's jewel attacked the unnatural fox snake. Well, when you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. She set her tankard down and looked them both over. New fathers on the same day, one ecstatic and the other devastated. Sure, they weren't pups anymore, but neither could be accused of being mature either. They have both seen a war that took their fathers. They knew the isle as good as she and Lajalia did. But just ten years ago, she would have written this whole story off as a drunken stupor. That just wasn't who they were anymore. After a long silence, she said, A mysterious dying woman. Red glowing eyes. Lambent fog. And a capricious sword. She shook her head and finished off her drink. Well, I only have one thing to suggest. What's that? Ulrich asked, without even looking up from his fingers. Don't go into the forest without your father's scimitar, she said as Skyda leaned over and lapped up the rest of Ulrich's ale. This concludes Chapter 4 of the Tidal Isles. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for your being gracious about me not being an actor and tripping over my words. I apologize for that, but I am doing my best. Also, I'd like to ask it to please support the show by hitting subscribe, likes, stars, ratings, uh, comments, especially voice messages, whatever you'd like. I would love to hear from you and love to hear what you think. And if you have any suggestions, I would love to hear those as well. And again, I just put this up on YouTube, so it's available there as well. So if you know anybody who likes this kind of story, please share it. It would mean the world to me. And I hope you have a wonderful week and the next episode should be up on Tuesday. Bye.